I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Happy Draft Eve, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson here. Draft Eve. Draft Eve, and then tomorrow's Draft Day, and yeah, on Monday yeah. I said Happy Draft Week, and it's just, you know. No, no, I see what you're doing, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's all built around the draft, which, you know, we're here, we're there, it's tomorrow, and uh, the buzz, it's just you, just, you just feel it. Just feel it. You feel the excitement? It's great. People are just getting into this, 24 people in the YouTube channel feeling it with us, getting ready. You got a lot of coffee today? No, I just... Just got it all. Just reloaded, though. Okay. My, uh, so... That's natural adrenaline, by the way. My sister's week. boyfriend, who you met. They, remember, we had at the steak. We broke York. bread together. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Bread On, together. um... Thanks, Sports Illustrated. Apparently he had, like, a splitting headache for, like, three days, right? And then discovered that for the last three days, he's been drinking multiple cups of decaf rather than... No. Yes. No way. <laughs> it, was like, it was, like, down the exploration of, like, medical problems of, you know, have I got a brain tumor? No, I just picked up decaf <laughs> coffee this week. Oh, that's unbelievable. So that was pretty dumb. You know, I've been, I, I've been working overtime trying to get an espresso sponsor mm. sponsorship over here, you know, mm-hmm. tagging yeah, them Have you Twitter. been tweeting? This is the way to do it, apparently. I tweeted at them. So when Renner, Renner and Austin. Renner they got and the, Austin just went randomly, like, what do they call it? Um, organic. Organic. Organic yes. tweets mentioning their love of Miller Lite. And all of a sudden, Miller Lite rolls in with the cases of beer and sponsor. So we need to strategically deposit these Nespresso tweets, you know. Well, I was about to call them out because of the decap story. You can't call them out. You got to. All right. Gotta so I will call them out that they did not sneak. They did not sneak decaf into no. our Christmas advents that uh, my wife and I bought. No, no, no. It's got to be positive tweets. Okay. But we love Nespresso. I'm powered by Melozio today from, uh, from Nespresso. Okay. All right. Mm. That's great. We'd love to have you guys power it all the time. Is that, is that how's that organic? We can't be sarcastic. These it needs to be organic and you know believable. As that was like, it. That's believable. That sounded sarcastic. I ingest a lot of caffeinated coffee. Yeah. yeah. And where do you get it from? Espresso USA, of course. Exactly. There yes. you go. All right. So let's get into the show. We're going to go through all the the biggest news and rumors and crazy stuff. You want to talk? Um, so did you hit you hit your goal right? By the way, the yeah the you charity twenty five hundred. That's twenty five fifty. Um, we did get, we had a late push on mine, almost to two grand, but unfortunately, we're just going to have to pocket the two grand for Heritage House and not do anything. Uh, I will Great be, strategy. I'm, I'm, wa- I'm working on it, the, the TikTok dance. I am waiting for the last piece of my costume to arrive and also to learn the dance. So maybe if it shows up today, I can do it tomorrow before the show. Uh, at some point, we'll do it. I'm wait. I'm just, you know, okay, yeah, need, yeah. Need, need the full, full outfit. Otherwise, it's not a... Not a thing. I might as well do this all the way. Kelly suggested if I get to the 2500 that I do the dance with you. Hmm. We do well, you have the hair already. Yeah. yeah. And you don't. You're not going no. to. No hair. Yeah. But it's good. That's good. All right. Anyway, let's get into uh, the draft news and rumors. There's also a great 
immediate question in the YouTube chat from Justin Smith. What approach do you like drafting quarterbacks? Justin Smith? Yeah, yeah. The old 49ers cowboy. defensive end? The Cowboy, yeah. Oh. Justin Smith. That's what I mean. That, that's, that was his nickname, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Justin Smith. He was like Mr. PFF circa 2008 through 10. Well, he was as good as we thought it could be. And then J.J. Yeah. Watt rolled in there and showed, ooh, yeah, it turns out you can get a lot better than Justin Smith. <clears throat> Back in the old system, Justin Smith would be like a plus 34 for yeah. a season. No one else was over plus 15 or whatever. It's like, well, Justin Smith is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of 3-4 defensive end play. Well, he's in the chat here. Okay. There's a picture. It doesn't look like him anymore, but you know how football players well, are after they retire. a lot of weight once yeah, Exactly. They look up marathon different. running and all that kind of stuff. This is absolutely the Justin Smith, former okay. Bengal and 49er. Would you build the foundation, then draft the quarterback, or draft the quarterback and then build around them? Do you have a do you have a preference on that? I went rogue, but just you know. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I don't think it's a one size fits all kind of deal. I think it depends what what you know how much of a fixer upper is this. True. You know, let's keep the metaphor going, right? If you move into a house, it kind of depends how bad is this thing. Is there some bits and pieces that need to be done, or do we need to tear this thing down to the foundations? So that kind of depends. Like, where are we in this rebuild project? to determine whether we're getting the quarterback or not. I do know you, from an offense standpoint, you do have to, we always talk creep back toward average on the offensive line, but to even do that, you do have to invest. There is an investment just to get to that level of average. If the offensive line, I think, so I think it depends on this. If you have a quarterback, once you get him, offensive line has to get up to, up to snuff and then you get the, the receivers. I like the idea of building the foundation first, but... I also like the idea of swinging for quarterbacks as much as possible. Mm. So if I had to answer, I would lean keep swinging for quarterbacks. Okay. But teams that have a good foundation, you know, probably have an easier time once you get them for sure. All right. Uh, We'll get into some my guy stuff later. I'm real excited. Um, Oh, I also just want to clarify. When I was referring to my model Mm. the other day, I was not – that was just – we were just making fun of Steve, right? We were just making fun of me. We were just joking around. We yeah, were you not, were not. You there were not. was nobody in mind. There was no type of person in mind that did that, that I was mocking or mimicking. Right. The, you were not taking shots at anybody out there in the world who has right. actual data models. We were mocking you because you have the mathematical ability of a trained dog. And stop, you're out here stop. I, dude, acting like you have a my, mathematical model along with these other data scientists who have real things. Do you want me to get my third grade teacher on that? I mean, I, my times tests and stuff like that, like I... Good. I'm good at the math. I'm just, you know, it's just kind of contained in an Excel, you know, file. I have, other I, people are doing, you know, big stuff. I'm just saying, I, I have a nearly two year old dog now, and she understands the difference between small thing, you know, small number and a big number. And I think that's about where you are. And yet you're out here saying, like my model says, yeah. So that's we were what just, we were mocking. Yeah. So we were just joking around. Yeah. But um, generally speaking, when in doubt, assume that I'm just taking the piss out of you, not yeah. other people. Which means making fun of, joking around with, yeah, whatever. Correct. Yeah. Uh, somebody also had a great comment about, you know, me being the mom that kind of, like, keeps things going and how respectful you are to our guests, mm. but then disrespectful that you are to me. Right. I mean, just maybe show more respect to, to you. me. Yeah, to your co-host here. I mean, no. that's cool. Anyway, I've got more updates to the model. We can get into that later. Great. Can't wait. Perfect. There's 15 players I would draft in this draft so far. <laughs> and then when I run it for tight ends... And for QBs, maybe we'll add a couple to it. There's other people out there that have like 15 players of the first round grade. You just have 15 players with a grade. All I'm saying is I'm starting to understand why teams roll into the draft with like a big board of 50. You yeah. know, I'm starting to understand. They also start this before you, you know. They've been working on it for a while. Doesn't you just matter. like spooled up your model, you know, like a couple of weeks ago. Speed doesn't matter in this whole thing because the draft happens the same night for everybody. What? So the mean, draft's tomorrow night. You just have to be you- ready by tomorrow. 
Yeah, but it matters when you start preparing. It doesn't. What? You just have to be ready by tomorrow. If you started doing this crap, like, several weeks ago, I you did, would actually I, finish. I mean, I, I just got another great idea the other day, so I had, to, I had to iterate on it. And here we are. Further iterations on the model. Anyway, let's get into uh, the draft rumors. And so, where are you pulling all these rumors? What's going to happen tomorrow night? Uh, I mean, I've been scouring the, the interwebs today. Uh, J- uh, Jeremy Fowler. Almost called him Jason Fowler. Um, Who's unblocked me, by the way? I'm not, he blocked you? Yeah. Oh, I, don't, you d- <laughs> I don't remember why, but... Probably the same reason why Wade Phillips blocked you. No, I really don't know why that snarky, one was. Yeah, no, so that's, snarky. Yeah, no, so that's... I do think that's definitely Sam. why Fowler blocked me. Like, there was definitely some time around, you know, where I took a shot at something he did. I, I've definitely... The Fowler one, I, I think, is almost certainly for a reason. Now, maybe it was... Maybe, it's, maybe he went too far, you know? Maybe escalated it beyond where it was reasonable. But there was definitely a reason behind that one. The Wade Phillips one, I honestly have no idea. That one and Brandon Graham. I've been blocked by Brandon Graham and Wade Phillips, and I have no earthly idea what I ever did to either of those guys. Well, you bet against Brandon Graham getting 10 sacks every single season. He so also I think gave you me a that. hug. Yeah. In person. There's not, like, I, that was, I'm convinced. That was pre-bet. I'm convinced that the Brandon Graham one is like a mistake. You know, someone nah. else was trashing him you in the conversation. Him. You bet he against him every year. everybody in the conversation. You bet against collateral damage. All right, what's uh, so anyway, Jeremy Fowler? Jeremy Fowler, uh, Burt Breer, a um, whole bunch of people. They've got articles up today, latest buzz, rumors, news, anything to do with the draft. And I've, uh, you know, collated it, as the data people say. You'll know that as a model. Sure, of course. A mathematical a lot of model. Collation over here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actually, let's start first. We, we keep telling people to email us, you know, it's still a thing. Keep emailing us. Also, Twitter, we've got uh, – hit us up on the Twitter as well. At PFF NFL Pod is the Twitter account or NFL Podcast at PFF.com. Um, so some guy sent us an email off the back of the Nate Tice show, the, nice. the draft comp show. Uh, and I think it's, it's an interesting one to read because, well, it's, it's titled, uh, what is it, Confusion and Perceived Hypocrisy. So, hey, Sam and Steve, I've been a PFF NFL podcast listener for the last year. Lots I'd like to relate, but I need clarity of the correlation between player size and injury chance before the night shit. So, right before 41 minutes on the comp show with Nate Tice, Nate says, quote, smaller guys get hurt more. That's just a fact. I knew exactly what was coming. Waited for it, and it never happened. Fully expected Sam to call Nate on this, quote, fact. During the Jalen Waddle draft conversations, I distinctly recall Sam saying such a correlation doesn't exist and that, in fact, a bigger guy was more vulnerable to injury. First, Sam, am I reasonably paraphrasing you? Is there, if there isn't a one-to-one relationship between your statement and Nate's, then please explain the nuances that I missed. Secondly, if I do remember correctly and it does relate directly to Nate's comments, then did you recognize the disconnect between your previous statement and Nate's contrasting view during the conversation? If so, then why not disagree at the time? Assuming I have an accurate memory, I understand the answer may be to do with politeness, politics, and general podcasting etiquette, but I think passing on misinformation is worse than an awkward professional situation. I listen because you guys sound smart. <laughs> sound smart. Not our sound. Smart. Sound smart. Sound smart. And I feel like I'm learning. Uh, I don't expect you to stand up and scream bullshit when you think a guest is factually incorrect, but I do rely on you as a filter for legitimate football knowledge that I am unqualified to judge. Certainly not the topic I imagine for my first communication with your team. Uh, I don't know 
I don't know if I'd be motivated to write again, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you have the right amount of shared professional insight Hmm. with a good number of personality conflicts. You've got chemistry, my favorite duo to listen to since Greeny and Golick. Uh, thanks wow. for the good football conversation insights. Based on your podcast, I have an educated opinion about my team's best draft picks and can be more involved on Thursday night. I appreciate it. He has also provided us with a visual representation of one of my most memorable analogies. Uh, Tyler, have you got that fired up? Here we go. It's uh, Najee Harris as the forlorn hope. <laughs> Walking his way into the breach, about to be murdered by all of the rifles gunning him down because he's got no help. I like that. That's a nice little, uh, nice little that's addition. That's good. That is good. That's really good. So anyway, you, that's why you made it through that entire email. It really is. This is a picture at the end of it. I was like, okay, it's, I kind of feel obliged to read it now. Can um, I kick that off really quick before you yeah, defend yourself? What do you got? I'll defend you really quick. It's not. You're not like Larry King or anything like that. It's not like you're the, uh, you know, the foremost interviewer in the world here. Like ah, did you get pick this up on it? No, I didn't it. pick it up either. So I did. I, it did I register. Did. And yeah, like I'm the, also not Larry King. No, it's true. Um, yeah, it did. It did chime when he said it, and it you know clanged like when you're listening to music and somebody hits like a bum note on the piano. It's like yeah. I hear it by the way when people say it about quarterbacks. When you say small quarterbacks get injured, I'm so like, that's oh, the thing. No, no, I'll defend that. So that's the thing. One, I think I almost always use that specifically in relation to quarterbacks. Correct. When it's massively correlated with how you play the game, not necessarily not how big you are. Um, now this guy says I use that with the Jalen Waddle draft conversations. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember doing that, but it's entirely possible, and I'm willing to take him on face value that I did say that. Um, I, it's, it's not as clear, and I don't make it the point as much with other positions, but it is still true that, generally speaking, there is not a correlation between player size and injury, and if anything, it's the other way. Like, smaller players get injured less than bigger players. The positions where it's different are running back, where it's actually useful to be, you know, 230 pounds as opposed to 170. Like yeah. that's 60 pounds of ballast when you're running back and taking a lot of hits is actually important. And uh, I think there's another position, it's maybe tight end or something, another position where like the size, I think it just helps with the absorption versus delivering of hits. Um, but anyway, the big point is when we were doing this, when it, when it chimed live, you're like, okay, I'm not – immediately going to pull like he said i'm not going to jump in and shout no stop you know so i was at least yeah. going to let him finish his point and then at that point it's like all right this would probably be derailing this significantly to go off on a giant tangent about yeah injuries. there are there are ways to do that the right way and be like let's go back to that point that you misrepresented earlier yeah you know but, but, but there's no way like he That's he would have then defended it. his position we would have got lost in the ether about like who actually has the data to back this up and it would have been like it wasn't going to go anywhere you know what i mean there's no way of kind of quickly there's sometimes where somebody says something you can kind of go hey if we just go back to that like actually i think you'll find blah blah and it's like oh okay yeah done but like i wouldn't have had data to hand he wouldn't have had data to hand we you know what i mean it would have it wouldn't have gone anywhere, and we would have spent 10 minutes talking about something that was completely irrelevant to the show that we were doing, which is draft comps. So I, it did clang. I didn't, there was no obvious immediate way to pull him up on it, and I didn't think it was worth diving into the giant, uh, the giant tangent that it would uh, involve. But I do believe that he's wrong, and I, he, should be, he should be ashamed of himself. He should be. Hmm. Yeah. But all that said, we love Nate. Great show. <laughs> Glad we did it. Hope, hope to do it again next year. So we're not going to call him out on it. 
Um, we also, I don't know, do we have a ton of hard data on this? Because it's, it's, I think it's tough to find hard data on no, it, too. No, there isn't a lot, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that it's been There's like, also a size bias in the NFL, yes. right? Um, they just draft bigger, faster, stronger players overall. Yeah. So there's a bigger pool. I, I think pool. the easiest way of saying it is that it isn't clear that being bigger leads to fewer injuries. Sure. You can, I think you can probably argue whether being smaller leads to fewer injuries um, and the kind of the factors involved that might be warping whatever data you can find on that, I, I that might just not be worth fighting at this point. But I, I think the point is reasonable that, like, there isn't a clear uh, body of evidence that says being bigger is better and get it, you get injured less. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on these roster moves we're discussing, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. That was from Ryan Euler, by the way. I don't think I remember, uh, read out his name. I mean, I remember uh, Mike Tannenbaum's become a, a pretty good friend in recent years. We had him on the show last year. There were definitely times where he said stuff that I would disagree with. But, like, when you have a guest, too, you're also just kind of letting them answer. And even if we disagree with stuff, it doesn't mean that we're right or that he's right or wrong. I also think that uh, interviewers can sometimes have a condescending way of leading their guest into what they perceive as misinformation too so there's like there's a there's a i don't even know if there's a right and wrong way to do it but i think there's a time and place to your point about how to have those discussions and not just call out every single guest if they say something you disagree with even if you have hard facts or a model to back it up Mm. even if they do i mean if only you had the model you could have hit him back with the model i mean if like yeah i told i told renner i'm out on charles cross the model (laughs) Is out on Charles Cross, therefore I am. Okay, and yeah. um, he's not one of your fifteen guys you would draft. It's not one of the fifteen, yeah. and it's making me rethink the top of the the offensive tackle. Rethink class. everything, everything. I wouldn't. I mean, if I needed a tackle, I'd re-sign Cam Robinson instead. Just like the Jags. That's what the Jags did here. Okay, let's start with that. That so, was one of the rumors, right? Well, so there's a lot of Evan Neal stuff at the moment. Um, first, there was uh, reports that. Evan Neal has some medical issues that have been thrown around a lot the last couple of days. I think Burt Breer was saying that he's heard that a lot from different sources, that there are various medical issues that Evan Neal has working with, and that's not helping his draft stock. They have, you know, the, <clears throat> the kind of re-medical examinations. They do one at the Combine, and then there's a bunch of guys that get kind of redone as we get closer to the draft. Um, generally not for, like, hey, this we found a medical issue. Let's check that we saw it. It's more like if you have an injury that could change over a month or two months, then let's get the cha- let's get the update, right? So it's more like let's get the newest information as opposed to let's check we got the information right in the first place. So the fact that Evan Neal wasn't recalled for a medical thing, which apparently is the case, doesn't necessarily mean there are medical issues. It just means they're not ones that are changing in the last month or two. But anyway, so... Evan Neal apparently has medical issues, wasn't recalled for the, uh, the medical rechecks. Um, and then Jeremy Fowler, I think, had this, this sort of nugget that was like, the only team in the top 10 that has not had pretty extensive contact with Evan Neal is Jacksonville. What if? What, and this is not going to notice by Evan Neal in his camp. 
You know, ooh, ooh, conspicuous lack of contact from the Jags over there. I wonder what that means. What if it's all a ruse, all a smokescreen? Let's talk up Trayvon Walker. Let's talk up Aiden Hutchinson. Let's talk up all the pass rushers. But we really want Evan Neal. That's the move. Why would the team picking number one overall need to do that at all? I mean, look, why would the Jags need to do a lot of things? Why would they need to re-sign Cam Robinson to a three-year, 70-something million dollar contract? Why would they need to give Christian Kirk all the money in the world to play wide receiver? I'm going to pull up some PFF IQ just to put some hard numbers to the Cam Robinson deal. It was three years, $54 million. All right, we'll pull that up for a minute. No, there. three years. It was, oh, was it three years, 54? I, I believe was, so. Uh, let's find out. According to PFF War, Cam Robinson's most valuable season was 2018, the year that he played only 79 snaps. Ah. Well, that's not great. No, it's not. Less is more, as they say. Anyway, so the rumor that the Jags might take Evan Neal, I don't, I mean, I'm not buying, I wouldn't be buying that. So do you think the Jags just overcompensated and said, okay, let's, let's just squelch this uh, Evan Neal rumor? By resigning Cam Robinson. By resigning Cam Robinson. <laughs> no. They no. still need a right tackle, though. Jawan Taylor's uh, in the last year of his contract. He's, uh, he's disappointed as a second-round pick as well. And look, Evan Neal is one of those guys this draft where uh, this appears to be the same with everyone, where they're being talked about as, you know, you could play guard. Maybe you draft him. You play him guard year one, then move him to right tackle. Evan Neal? Yeah. Is that what you would do? I mean, I would draft an offensive lineman over a defensive end if I was Jacksonville at number one overall. Like, I w- my priority would be whatever makes Trevor Lawrence better yeah. across the board. Everything. I don't. If we didn't add a body on defense this year, I would not give a crap if I'm Jacksonville. Everything I did for the next like twelve months would be and would be aimed at making Trevor Lawrence the best player he can be. So that in tw- like in nine months' time or whatever, I have an idea if he's the future or not. Yeah, I mean, look, I get it, I, I, and it's tough to do that. In this draft, it's tough to do that with one pick at the top. So I, you still think I think you got to do what's best by the team overall. Isn't that the same thing? <sighs> yeah, but is a tackle the thing that's doing it for you? I mean, when you don't have two tackles. Maybe. When you don't have two good tackles. I mean, you're the one, too, it's like, oh, we're not going to fix the whole line with one player, Bengals. Like, we're not going to fix one, you know, with Panay well, We're not. I mean, ideally, you would do what the Bengals did and go out there and, like, re-overhaul it in an offseason, but they haven't. Yeah. Well, they're trying. Cam Robinson, three years, $18 million per year. I just want to put some, some numbers to this okay. for you. Using PFF IQ, which you could do too, NFL, NFL teams. Many of you are. You can go in and we, I could can, can put in his contract. Three years, $18 million per year. I wonder what that brings around the NFL as far as wins above replacement goes. And so guys that are making comparable money as Cam Robinson – Guys like Lane Johnson, Braden Smith, both right tackles. Brian O'Neill, the right tackle for the Vikings. Garrett Bowles, left tackle for the Broncos. Taylor Moton, left tackle for Carolina. Ryan Ramchek, the best right tackle in the NFL for the Saints. Orlando Brown, uh, Ronnie Stanley, Jake Matthews, all these, and Colton Miller with the Raiders. All those guys are in that 17 to $20 million range. All of those guys are bringing back, if we're just looking at wins above replacement, looking at war, those guys are all bringing back Point one, point two, point three, like really good. This is all well above average tackle play that they're returning. Other than Colton Miller, though he's been on the upswing. He's at exactly replacement level, but last year was his best season. Cam Robinson has also been on the upswing, but he has averaged negative war. 
throughout his entire career. He's never had a positive war in his career. Now, he's definitely he's improved over the last few years. He's coming off his best pass-blocking grade. His run-blocking has not been good at all, um, despite being a mauler and you know having all the potential in the world and all this stuff. So at a quick glance, he's not going to re- return the same on-field value using this one number. He's not going to return the same on-field value as the 10 comparable players making similar money in the NFL. Therefore, I've come to the conclusion, Sam, I don't like this deal. I kept giving the Jags the benefit of the doubt. Okay, they're just going to franchise tag him. Hmm. And if you want to give Cam the benefit of the doubt, the comp we've used is Donovan Smith with the Bucks. if you guys have PFF Elite, which, by the way, you can have right now for 50% off using Draft 50. So go get it. And you go to Premium Stats 2.0 and go check out Donovan Smith's page starting left tackle for the Bucks. And he's gotten better and better and better every year. The difference is Smith has also played over 1,000 snaps every year. Like, he's been really durable and healthy. Cam Robinson, not as much. But Donovan Smith would be like that comp, right? That guy that just continues to get better at a position that shows improvement. But Cam hasn't made that jump yet. He's made little incremental jumps. So it's really a risky move here to have Cam Robinson as your left tackle of the future for the next three years at $18 million per. Yeah. I know you could have just looked at the grades and said he's trash, but I'm just trying to put some context behind it, Sam. He did have a 67 grade, career high last year, still negative war, and still below average overall play at the tackle position. Yeah. I mean, 67 grade, career high. It's probably all you need to hear, you know? Career high, maybe average. Yeah. That's not great to be paying that kind of money. So anyway, my point being, I'm not sure they're, they're out of the offensive line marketplace, nor should they be. So you're going to buy in this? You're buying this rumor that Evan Neal? I'm not necessarily buying it. I'm just saying it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. So let's. let's All that said, by the way, Cam Robinson at left tackle has been, I think, better than Jawan Taylor. Similar, at least. Yeah. There was the one year that they were one and two and pressures surrendered. I think in 2019, <laughs> the two Jaguars tackles. But Jawan Taylor, his act, his career is actually getting worse. He started with positive war, and he's been negative in the last two years. So. The other bit of, I mean, the news today is the betting line is moving ever towards Trayvon Walker being number one overall. Like, you, let's he, describe the betting line really quick. Because, like, what triggers the betting line? It's just the market, right? Or is it news and rumors and insight, no, and insight too? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's one and the other. Particularly with things like the draft, I think it's motivated a lot more by news and rumors like information more than you know betting lines during the season with specific games like game lines the point spread all that kind of thing like that that moves depending on how where the bets are coming in but the draft props and things like that they're going to move a lot based off the information you have because all of a sudden like when something becomes like you know the around this time right the day before the draft is oftentimes where real information leaks in terms of, oh, that's who they're going. You know, we didn't know for a while. Like Baker Mayfield, right? That broke like, what, 24 hours before the draft? Maybe a little bit less than that? And it was like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden we didn't know who the Browns were going with at the top pick. Now it sounds like it's Baker Mayfield. Done, right? Now immediately, as soon as that comes out, you need to shift the line because you can't keep fielding bets or whatever the price was before everybody knew that. Um, so it kind of it preempts the bets, right? It can move for, from either way. But... Generally, in recent days, the line has been moving 
ever more towards the idea that Trayvon Walker is the favorite to go number one. I think yesterday he became the favorite for the first time, or maybe it was Monday. And then today it swung even further. He's now a heavier favorite to go number one overall. So it does sound like this idea that, that Trent Baalke is going to look at you know, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and go, nope, give me the dude with the big arms and the great a- athletic profile. That's who I want, number one. I feel like the line's moving more today just because Trayvon Walker became the favorite on Monday, and then it was more money-driven, right? Like, a lot of people are like, all right, well, if he's the favorite, that's where I'll go. And then they have to make the, you know, make the line a little bit more in Trayvon Walker's favor. I feel like this one it, is a pretty big jump. I feel like this latest one, though, I feel like the initial move to Trayvon Walker being the favorite was information-driven, and then they just kept moving the line further and further as people put money on it, just like a, a line or a game. That's just my feeling. I will say, if you look at the players that Trent Baalke has been involved in drafting in terms of long-arm freaky edge rushers, right? He has Alden Smith. Alden Smith, yeah. Who was really good, but obviously troubled. You know, never, never realized his full potential because of off-field issues. But, like, right from the get-go was amazing, aided by Justin Smith from the chat. Um and he's, he was also there when they drafted DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead, two weirdly long-armed, like, length type of pass rushers, each of whom worked out. One is a, an edge rusher, one is an interior player. So he's drafted three guys that fit this template of freakish athlete, long-armed guy who have been really good pass rushers, the difference being that all three of those guys were productive in college. Like, and so Armstead, we only had one year of data on Armstead and he would he's actually similar to Danell Hunter as far as outliers go as with our production with what they've done in the NFL cuz he was underwhelming for like DeForest Buckner crushed it from a grading standpoint oh, yeah, he was, he was one of the best we've seen Eric Armstead was a little underwhelming i think he went 17th or whatever which is the best spot in the draft we know <laughs> wherever Armstead went i believe we that was a little bit higher than we would have taken him yeah. at the time based off production alone so Look, I, he was similar profile in terms of better run defender than pass rusher. Yeah. Um, but the, the one, and I guess he's also a similar player in terms of, um, you know, spent a lot of his time inside rather than outside as a true edge rusher. You know, had that kind he's of an inside body. Too. Yeah. Right. He's like six. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in that regard, right? Six foot seven, 100, or 292 pounds. Uh, but he didn't have, like, he ran a five second 40. He didn't have the the 4-5, you know, the, he didn't have the insane speed and athleticism that Trayvon Walker has. but He worked out like a, an interior player. Yeah, basically. and yeah. really started off as an interior player and then kind of transitioned towards the edge where he became way more effective. But I, I, I would say that even Armstead is the least, uh, has the least body of work in terms of college production of those three guys. And even he is significantly more productive than Trayvon Walker. And, by the way, didn't go number one overall, went 17. True. Very different. But I I wonder, like, when you talk to evaluators, they are very familiar with everything that they've done, right? They're hits and misses. They're they're good and they're bad. So can't you see him looking back at those three players, even though they're different positions when it comes to DeForest Buckner, and saying, I have a type. All three of those guys hit. In particular, I don't know if there's others that are misses that you know we're not thinking of right now, but I have a type, 
and uh, I have a track record, and I have a history, and I've I've done this well. Um, I could see, I could see. Eva- I mean, I hear value. I talk to evaluators that do that, right? Like I remember when I made this mistake. I remember when I mean, they don't think of other people's mistakes as much. They only think of theirs, um, which immediately makes it a, a smaller sample size. But um, I could see that. I could see that being the thought process. I see in Trayvon Walker what I saw in, you know, these players that that were good at the time. Yeah, and look, I you made this point I think when we were talking about it on the last show that in this draft of all drafts where there are there is not a ton of really high end elite talent. There's not these superstars that are going in the top five picks when the quarterbacks aren't there. If there's a draft to swing at potential and ceiling and elite traits it is this one my counter to that has simply been that jacksonville has been doing that for a while and missed almost universally when they've done that it might be time to just you know what's the baseball analogy just take the single yeah just just get on base yeah especially like when the you know there's the shift you get the shift on there of course you got the whole infield open you can try to swing for the home run and extra base hit or you just take the single defense has given it to you Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm um, you know, I always say I like to diversify using, um, but from a PFF production standpoint, the people that we keep comparing Trayvon Walker to, and Eric Armstead is one of those, where he was below average from a production standpoint in our one year that we had him. Daniil Hunter was below average. In the, both of those guys have become outliers, though. And all I'm saying is when you're breaking this down every which way, you're certainly not using our data as a baseline. You're usually most teams are using our data as a check, right? It's part of their process. All 32 teams use it to varying degrees. It's part of their process, um, but their baseline is their own scouting and their own eyes and, and their own grades and, and all of that stuff. If we start with our data, though, again, Trayvon Walker's got an uphill climb, right? It doesn't mean he's never going to hit. Rashawn Gary has started to figure it out, right? I was actually I was watching Gary the other day, and I'm like, can, can I envision Trayvon Walker doing this at some point in the NFL? Watching Gary, he was whooping right tackles last yeah. year, left and right. You could see it. I mean, you could see it happen. It's a really fun discussion because it's he's such an extreme example of the like the tension we talk about. You know, the college production versus athleticism and traits. Usually. There's this sort of complicated, muddy mix between the two. Like, the line is blurred, and it's a case of, like, well, you know, 80% of this, 20, whatever. He is he's such an extreme example of it's 100% traits. There's almost no production to speak of. There, like, certainly from a pass-rushing standpoint. Okay, we can argue his run defense a little bit more. There's obviously more production there. But in terms of actual pass rush, there's almost nothing. Like, none. If you look at his pressures, if you look at his sacks— like his sacks, not only are they not like impact high-end pass rushing quality sacks, but they're not even like real pass rushing reps for the most part. They're plays where he's like contain rushing or playing the run first and converting to pressure once he sees the quarterbacks kept the ball and is rolling out or whatever. Like they're, they're not the same as these other guys. So we are almost entirely projecting that simply based off having this built-in-a-lab body and athleticism he can become a high-end nfl pass rusher and we're so sure of this that we're willing to draft him number one overall as opposed to like the second or third round where that kind of gamble usually takes place that's the thing too like when when we talked about Rashawn gary at the time i just said so you you have to if you have to just be okay with your convictions 
that maybe you'll miss on an outlier. And I think that's how most teams treat it, right? So most, so can you hate, you, you see this all the time, can you hate on teams for passing on Russell Wilson? You know, oh, right, every team passed on Russell Wilson. Like the Seahawks passed on Russell Wilson two rounds, right? I mean, I, I keep saying, yeah, they played it so they'd get him in the third round. But if they, they would have picked him above Bobby Wagner. They would have picked him against over Bruce Irvin. Every team missed on Russell Wilson because he was an outlier for them, right? I don't hate teams for missing on the outlier and saying, you know what, I'm not going to take the shot. I would say Rashawn Gary would be an outlier. I would say well, it, Daniil Hunter, it's who went in the third. Value, right? It's, when you look at the, whatever draft chart you look at, it's, it's like an exponential curve up to number one overall. Number one overall is, is, the, is the pinnacle. It's where the most value is. And the further you get away from number one overall, the more palatable it becomes to take a shot on a boom or bust type of prospect. Because if you miss... It, you, it cost you less, right? It was a less expensive gamble to take at number 10 or number 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever it is, right? The further away you get, the more palatable it is to roll that dice and hope that you hit the jackpot. To do it at number one overall, whatever, whatever you say about smart or unsmart, it's incredibly ballsy. <clears throat> like, you know... Everyone's right now. Everybody, almost universally, is mocking the Jags and Trent Baalke for like, oh, we're taking the dude with the long arms. Uh, like, what are we doing here? But to give credit to the guy for that is a hell of a ballsy thing to do right now when your your job's already kind of under pressure and you are going to draft the guy number one overall. That if you rewind a few weeks, a couple of months, was like a mid first round pick. And you are, you've elevated that guy, not just to the top of the draft, <clears throat> but the number one overall based almost 100% off what he can become if you get your coaching right and, and all those kinds of things. I, I'm genuinely, I admire that. I, put, I don't think it's smart, but I admire it. I want to put some perspective, some more, just more perspective to this. And it's, this is football and team building discussion. It's not just Trayvon Walker talk, because I think it, I think the whole thing's fascinating, but uh, you and I were talking yesterday. I said the other comp I can think of from a measurable standpoint is Josh Sweat of the Philadelphia Eagles. Josh Sweat, um, but you put, as you pointed out, picture all of this that I'm going to say on Sweat, but um, Trayvon Walker's got 20 pounds on him, yeah. right? Similar build. Uh, Sweat has the 91st percentile arm length, and he ran a 4.5. That's 96th percentile. 40-inch vertical, that's 96th percentile, almost a 90th percentile broad jump and all the change of directions. The the shuttle and the three-cone were 80th percentile plus. That's built in a lab too. Yeah. And then you just add 20 pounds, and that's Trayvon Walker. The other guy that we talked about is Daniel Hunter. Now, let's talk about what, the you know, again, let's use war as a proxy here just because I think it's, it's a good measure as far as on-field value goes. Josh Sweat was essentially non-existent as a rotational player for three years he'd play 500 snaps he'd play 460 snaps last year was his best year for the eagles with the eagles josh sweat <laughs> with the eagles last year he was the number 23 edge defender in the nfl using war Danell hunter hit the ground running a little bit uh, quicker but he didn't have a pass rushing grade above 70 until his fifth year right Danell hunter and he had a lot of sacks early on remember that we were we were the because, you know, we always find those things. Yeah, it does, he has a lot of sacks, but pass rush grade isn't great. 
Daniel Hunter hit the ground running as a run defender. He was a pretty good pass rusher. Wasn't a really good pass rusher until 2019. And then when he played again last year. So both of those guys had a little bit of a development curve. Hunter, though, has essentially ranked as a top 32 edge almost every year of his career. Never in the top 10, though. Right? So when you talk about ceiling... It doesn't, I, I don't think the ceiling, even if Trayvon Walker hits, I don't think the ceiling is Vaughn Miller. I don't think the ceiling is Khalil Mack or the Boses or Miles Garrett or Chase Young. It might be Danil Hunter. It might be Josh Sweat where it takes a few years and then by year four he gets it. And by, and by the time he gets it, by the way, you have to pay him, you know, 15 to $20 million a year, more than that probably at that, at that point. And that's the other place where the risk comes in, right? Because you might feel justified as a selector of football players if by year four or year three it's like boom the light went on but then by that time the dude's ready to hold out because he wants to get paid because he just got 10 sacks he just had 12 sacks and i think that's the other issue with the selection is even if your perfect world comes true it's probably you also have to be realistic it might not happen in year one or two whereas with other players it's more likely to and uh I don't know. I, th- I think Hunter and Josh Sweat could be really good proxies, and neither one of those guys is really a top 10 edge. You, you could argue Hunter. I think he's perceived as such, but is he really? So uh, one question that I haven't heard asked that's probably worth bringing up the one at some stage. We keep talking about Danell Hunter as being this comp, and we've been saying that, hey, Danell Hunter went in the third round. Like, that's where you take a guy that's yeah. this much of a project. I've heard Spielman even say that because he's even, had this comp thrown at him before. Even with hindsight, right? If you knew... That if you knew now that that you would get Danell Hunter, right? If that's the guy, if that's his ceiling, if that's what he's going to become, you're going to get Danell Hunter. Is that is that usually a number one overall type of player? It probably is in this draft because we're, there's a lack of these top ten guys. But let me see if I can pull out in that any draft given class. draft. I'll do that. In, in any given draft, if you knew you were getting Danell Hunter, is that a number one overall player? I would say at minimum, it's debatable. Let me see if I can pull out where he ranks in war among non-quarterbacks in that draft class. Okay. To answer your question do it. at some point. Um, Maybe you could do the Manscaped read while I, uh, while I do that. Well, I could if I had it. Uh, you don't have it pulled up right But no, let's, let's put just, me on the spot and make me open up that spreadsheet. You want to? Podcast ad reads. No, no, no I know it. where it is. It's just going to take me a minute or two. You should to, definitely to get This was it. a great audible by me. Let's see. Non-quarterbacks. Here we go. War. Please don't break system. But I think it's a fascinating discussion about ceilings and expectations and all that stuff. The, the document that we have pinned in the Slack channel is the wrong document. It's the wrong one, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's going to take me even longer to navigate. Do you want me to send you a link? Have. Yeah, please. That would be helpful. I can send you a link to the be perfect. document so you can uh, read. But it's really not reading. It's organic. It's organic. Yeah. We don't read anything. No, no, no. We, were just, we would like to— Make uh, sure you go to our tab. Yeah, no, I know. I got it. I got it. I'm there. Um, yeah, none of these are ad reads. These are just uh, organic mentions, coincidental For sure. endorsements of our take on certain products. Where's the sheet? Such as the greatness that is Manscaped, the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season. The leaders in below the, the waist grooming with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4.340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code pff a checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping uh because of their ceramic blade and skin safe 
TM, trademark technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Frankly, everybody does. Let's not, again. The Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer men's health and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code PFF and turn your Mr. Irrelevance into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Well done, Sam. That was great. Thank you. And, and, and IQ loaded up for me. Perfect. With some numbers. Seamless. All right, so understand that war values the pass game, values receivers and corners more than it, than it does edges. Um, the most valuable non-quarterback from the 2015 draft class is Stephon Diggs. Okay. Uh, followed by safety, Adrian Amos. Wow. Cornerback, Marcus Peters. Okay. Cornerback, Marcus, uh, Byron Jones. And receiver, Tyler Lockett. This is non-QBs. You do have some guards in there, too. Shaq Mason Shaq. and Ali Marpet. Amari Cooper's up there. Um, the first defensive lineman is Leonard Williams at number 10. And then you get all the way to number 28. Uh, Eric Armstead's, by the way, is number 22. Grady Jarrett, fifth-round pick, is number 25. By the way, number one interior defensive lineman in my model, Sam. Mm. Grady Jarrett, despite being a fifth-rounder. Trey Flowers is number 27, an edge defender, who went in the fourth round after Danielle Hunter. And then Hunter's number 28. So Hunter's had a really good career, got paid twice. Let's say you don't trust war as a no. Let's just say you don't. Okay. You don't care about it. You value pass rush more. We're still talking like 28 people, 27 people ahead of Hunter. So even if it's like, hey, double, let's double his war. Let's double it. Put it up to, to 0.34. That puts him up at like third or fourth, you know, if you just doubled it, which is pretty extreme, you know, assuming Eric's got some pretty good math behind this. Anyway, um, I, I think that's just another telling thing that we talked about Hunter as this ceiling. And from a value on-field value standpoint, it's not always easy to compare across positions, but it's easily debatable if Hunter, who's had a very good career, is a top 10 to 15 most valuable player from his own yeah. draft class. That's just a, that's a point I haven't really seen raised before, is that even if we assume he hits that, if we assume he is Danelle Hunter 2.0, that's the player we're going to get from Trayvon Walker, you could still argue if that's worth taking number one overall, even if you absolutely nail your evaluation, like that is potentially concerning. Anyway, we've talked Trayvon Walker and the Jags pretty much to death over the last couple of... Uh, but, we, but we added different angles to it, and that's why people respect us. We and, can say the same thing a million different ways. And we might have to react to it on, the, uh, on YouTube tomorrow. So let's, yeah. let's, let's move right. on. Save some stuff. Yes. Um, another relatively unproductive pass rusher appears to be on the rise as well. Jermaine Johnson. Uh, now we're getting talked about, like Jermaine Johnson could go three. Or four overall, which is almost as crazy as Draymond Walker going number one overall. I, I'm uh, so there are some people that do a really good job of collating a lot of rumors, more than you just did. Like you just grabbed a couple rumors, right? But there are some people who really. How dare you? I mean, I'm, I, I appreciate of, that you did a lot you, of lead work, leg work. Into you this. did. You did. All right, you did a day's worth of work. There are some people that do months. 
Just saying. Okay. Would you admit people do more work than you when it comes to <laughs> accumulating rumors? Collation? It does seem like the Jets love Jermaine Johnson was the point I was trying to get to. Yeah. All of the collation points toward Jermaine Johnson and the Jets. And then the question becomes, is it 4, is it 10, and do they love him enough to take him at 4 or 10? Because there's other really good players there. Just because you love him doesn't mean you love him more than Thibodeau or Stingley or whoever else. But Jermaine Johnson in the top 10. Now, what's intriguing about him is, like, if we saw Trayvon Walker go to the Senior Bowl and have a really good Senior Bowl week where he's in a different system, he's really just trying to win one-on-ones, he's not worried about two-gap, and he's not worried about stunts or anything. actual evidence of him rushing the passer. Maybe that would change our perception, right? It's like, oh, man, this this poor dude's just been stuck in Georgia's system. Mm -hmm. Jermaine Johnson, though, he left Georgia's system. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida State. They'll let me win some one-on-ones. He had about an 80 grade last year. He had a pretty good season. Similar to, say, like a Gregory Rousseau from last year where you'd say, hey, a little buyer beware, but you see the potential there. But Jermaine Johnson went to the Senior Bowl and was really good, was the best pass rusher there. That makes me feel a little bit better about him because you just have this extra piece of evidence. Yeah, it, it does. Um, he's, not, he's, not where, like, he's not as big of a projection and gamble as Trayvon Walker. On the other hand, he's not the athlete that Trayvon Walker is. Um, I, the Jermaine Johnson thing is intriguing, though, because if he's going that high, if we're talking about him at three or two overall, that means we're elevating him above, well, certainly George Karloftis, who appears to be dropping at a rapid rate of knots, and even over guys like Kayvon Thibodeau. That's like, I mean, we're stretching it now. You know what I mean? Like, I can kind of see the argument to rank uh, Jermaine Johnson around or above Karloftis. I'm really struggling with the argument that puts him above Thibodeau unless you really believe that, like, the cryptocurrency just takes that guy off the board. Can't have it. I'm out. I'm out on Thibodeau. Don't buy any of anything he's selling. I, I'm just not taking it. Um, so we're, he's off the board. He's not even in discussion. But if you're, like, looking at these two guys side by side and are genuinely concluding that Jermaine Johnson's better, I don't quite know how you're getting there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, we ha- there is a lot of people. I saw um, Deontay Lee, formerly of, of PFF. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he with The Athletic now? Yeah. And, uh, and then Nate Tice of The Athletic. Both of those guys had Kayvon Thibodeau as the number one edge over Aiden Hutchinson. I, I think that's a I, that to cleaner me an, discussion. Yes, right? that to me is an easier argument to make than Jermaine Johnson yeah. or these other guys above Thibodeau. Yeah. Look, we got the, the Hutch podcast and all that stuff, but I'm— there's no bias here. I don't. Th- I don't think Hutchinson's in that elite edge defender group of recent history. Maybe we were spoiled that there actually was a group like that. Um, and even pre PFF college days, there was Khalil Mack and there was Von Miller, and those guys came in, and I'm, I assume they would have crushed the college grading and went on, and they were easy projections, so to speak. I don't think Hutchinson's as clean of a projection. No. Of, it is uh, kind of annoying, guys. like. I don't love Hutchinson. Yeah. I'm not saying he's a bad prospect or that he shouldn't be number one. Or I, I just I don't love it, right? I think he's very good, but he isn't Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, you know, whoever, Chase Young. He's not that caliber player. Um, and it would be so much easier to argue against, to really go to bat for the, look, the Trayvon Walker number one stuff is just stupid. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. Get out of here. You can't quite do that because the criticisms of Aiden Hutchinson are kind of fair, right? The short arms thing is weird. 32-inch arms for a dude who's six foot seven 
is abnormal. It's not supposed to look like that. Now, that being said, you, there's a perfectly healthy list of players that have under 32-inch arms who've been really good pass rushers at the NFL level. Like, legit guys. Clay Matthews, Marcus Golden, um, Shaq Barrett. Like, legitimate players who have been really productive, who have arms shorter than Hutchinson's. So it's not like it's an immediate, oh, we can't have that. Just, we're out immediately. But you do have to look at that and say, I mean, come on, like, this is just strange. This shouldn't, so, this shouldn't be a thing. And also, when you look at his, when you look at his rushes, right, if you just look at like, his, his most decisive pass rushes, they're all the same. They're all that inside counter move where he just wrecks a dude with that first step and, and fires inside the tackle and bears down on the quarterback. There's basically nothing of him winning cleanly around the edge. The, you know, the, the picture-perfect pass rush that everybody wants to see of a, an edge rusher running the arc and getting around a tackle with dip and bend and speed. He doesn't have those in his really decisive wins. doesn't mean he doesn't have them at all, but the fact that every one of those rushes looks exactly the same, and in order to have that move at the NFL level, they need to at least respect the other one, which you don't have as much of. And... Not only do you not have as much of, but it's harder to win that that particular rep with little stumpy T-Rex arms, right? So it's not like, again, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that those are not ideal data points when you're looking at this guy and trying to say he should definitely be the number one pick. It's obvious. Why can't you guys see it? Now, okay, so the same argument. Let's be fair here. So the same argument we used against Trayvon Walker, which was, well, if Danell Hunter's the comp, let's see where Danell Hunter really would stack up. Listen to all the comparisons we've used for Aiden Hutchinson. It, so if you use arm length as a baseline and you're like, well, the guys that did it are Shaq Barrett and Marcus Golden and whoever else you mentioned, uh, Clay Matthews. And then on the show, somebody in the YouTube comments mentioned this too, you used Agunlier hmm. as a comp. Style. Uh, not, not production. Style? Yeah. Did you say? Okay, so style. But, I mean, you just hear these names, and when they keep adding up and they keep adding up, it's like, all right. I mean, Maybe, like, are the, if, if those are the comps, it was Kyle Vandenbosch from Nate. Um, I think Shaq Barrett isn't the worst comp in the world. Like, if he become again, same, same question. If he becomes Shaq Barrett, is that worth number one overall? Who went undrafted, by the way. And yeah, became yeah. a very good player was and a $20 million yeah. a year player. And was yeah. immediately, you know, way better than he, people thought he was. But the point is, if you knew now, if I told you right, right now, you draft Aiden Hutchinson, you are getting Shaq Barrett's career, right? Is that worth number one overall? Probably not, right? This is the problem. With I think this. that's the problem with this entire draft. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's yeah. the problem with this entire draft is there's almost nobody that you can look at and say, yeah, he might be a safer pick, but even at, a, even at the high end of his expectations, you're getting a guy that's probably not worth that spot in a vacuum, which is why I think you're starting to hear a resurgence in support or a resurgence in buzz around guys like Derek Stingley. Because if Derek Stingley hits, you are talking about a player that's worth number one overall. Yeah, and I want to just put a bow on the the Hunter stuff. I just went back to to just do the first five years. So the things that, you know, if these guys are all first-rounders, they're all under contract. He is in the top 20, Hunter, because he he missed all 2020. That skewed it a little bit. Um, But again, the guys that are at the top, as far as most valuable players in that draft class, non-quarterbacks, Marcus Peters and Byron Jones are the highest, right? And you know our cornerback bias here. Um, Predicting them is, is more difficult for sure. But when you hit, when you hit on a Marcus Peters, when you hit on a Byron Jones, the payout is greater. And that is the Derek Stingley argument, right? I mean, that is why if, if you're the Jaguars and you're trying to hit a home run, if you're trying to 
have the best potential outcome for a non-quarterback, it probably is Derek Stingley in this draft. Yeah. Because he can be... I feel more confident about Derek Stingley becoming a top five corner than I do Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson becoming top five at their respective position. And we would say that cornerback's more valuable. Argue that all you want. That's fine. Right. But I think Stingley still has a better chance of being top five at his particular position if the goal is maximum potential outcome. Yeah. So let's pivot towards that. That's the latest or the next bit of news is that the Derek Stingley hype appears to be back as high as it's ever been. All right. Um, all of a sudden, Derek Stingley is back in play as certainly number three to Houston Texans. I've even heard the odd number two to Detroit. This is where we this is where we were talking about him like a month ago before everybody cooled on Derek Stingley. It's like, oh, I don't know. Sauce Gardner's the number one cornerback now. And then, you know, he, he does his pro day. He, shows, he ticks all the boxes. And all of a sudden, we're back on the Derek Stingley hype train. Discuss. Good. <laughs> Uh, I was with uh, Sean Salisbury, does uh, Houston radio, yeah, yeah. and he said, if you're, if you're Lovey Smith's, if you're Lovey Smith in the Houston Texans and you're running Lovey Smith's scheme, and it, look, it, just it's, because they... Is that overblown at this uh, point? It might be, but does that... But either way, they still play a lot more zone than man, and most a lot of teams do that. Does that, does that bring cornerback value down a little bit? And then when you're, if you're looking at Stingley or Sauce Gardner at three, it makes you question things a little bit. No. Okay. Just throwing that out there. I, see, that would be the case if Lovey Smith was still running like a 2004 Tampa 2 system. And I realize he's not. Correct. Um, but that, like, remember, originally, you go back almost 15, 20 years, and the, the Tampa 2, those sort of Tampa 2 cover 2 systems – they were the things you ran almost to hide cornerbacks, right? Because you don't when you're when you're dealing with that kind of system and a cover two corner is essentially manning that little zone, the flat, and you know a, a, up to twelve fifteen yards, right? Everything else the safety's problem goes to the yeah. middle of the field. It's not your deal. You defend the run and you cover that short area zone. That's yep. about as easy a gig as you can possibly ask for as a cornerback, right? It takes are, a it takes a different skill set. Yeah, but sure. not just a different one. It is genuinely easier. Sure. So a lot of that we talk about, you know, everyone gets caught up between man coverage versus zone coverage, and well, the zone's way easier. It really isn't, right? But it's being it's still portrayed that way because we think of zone coverage as these Tampa two systems where it legitimately was easier, right? You're literally, all you're doing is covering a short, shallow zone and keeping an eye inside on the run, right? That is objectively easier than playing man coverage every snap or having to pattern match or, you know, deal with these deeper zones where you have way more space to cover, all this kind of stuff. It just is. And that, I think, is why we still think of zone coverage as almost like this easy mode or this cheat, cover, or cheat code for cornerbacks because we think of it as cover two corners, where when these teams would draft these, and you would hear it at draft time, these guys are covered two corner only. Yeah. You know? Which usually Which means, means a little bit slower. Slow, physical, physical. can't really play any other yeah. scheme because he doesn't have the speed. You don't want him in man, but he can right. tackle. Yeah. But that's not what people are running anymore. Even Lovey Smith, right? Lovey Smith, uh, the Houston Texans last season ran cover two on. 28%. Yeah. Just to get, is that right? Uh, twenty no less twenty two percent twenty two okay. which is actually less than cover one they ran ta- like cover two less often than they ran man coverage right so even Lovey Smith who's seen as this like dinosaur 
harking back to these days of the Tampa 2 defense, really isn't doing that a lot at all. So you look at their most prevalent coverages, it's cover one, it's cover three, it's cover two. You need a corner that can play everything. So Derek Stingley, if he's elite, is just as valuable in Lovey Smith's defense as he is in any other defense. Here so it endeth, doesn't matter. Here so, endeth my TED talk. All right, so draft a corner at three. Yeah. Texans. I mean, if you think, yes, if you think he's the guy. Yeah, I'd be fine with Stingley or Sauce Gardner. There's a lot of there's heavy rumors that it's, that it's Sauce at three. But I do think it's interesting that we've come full circle of Derek Stingley and all, oh, all sure. the things to, yeah. like, all the concerns from a few weeks ago appear to be gone. Do you think that's – are they just um, are they just doing a good job with the hype train, though? Because, like, Daniel Jeremiah came out and was like, hey, I didn't know he had that foot injury, the Liz Frank injury, before the season and played through right. it, right? Well, that so certainly that came just, out at a weird time. Right. So is that the hype train or is it, like, literally – this? because usually scouts are there. Like, scouts are getting this information yeah. usually well ahead of time, but now it's getting out to the public. And honestly, what the public and the media, what we say, doesn't necessarily affect the draft stock of a player. It's what the team has as far as information. So maybe the stock's never changed. Teams have known this. But this is starting to, in the, an immediate sense, you've got Stingley who's playing through injury, people at LSU going to bat for him saying he was playing through injury. You know, he could have sat out, but he tried to play. That's why the production was down. Um, and then we all agree that 2019 was one of the best cornerback seasons we've ever seen from a college cornerback, and he did it as a freshman. So it, that feels like it's coming full circle in part because the, uh, the hype train, you know, some of this news is just getting to us here. I do think that the pro day was important for him. Like, just doing something. Not, well, not just doing something, good. but also like doing well. You know yeah. what I mean? Like whatever you think about how much effort or otherwise was involved in his pro day, the fact that he was able to go out there and produce – impressive numbers not necessarily you know not mind-blowing he didn't have a Trayvon Walker type of workout but the fact that he showed up and had very good numbers for his position I think was important to show that look not only do I have the best tape in this draft okay it was back in 2019 but whatever for a year I showed the best tape of any cornerback in this class I'm also a high-end athlete therefore like one to the other you add that up and if you hit on me I I have top 10 NFL cornerback potential. Can you say that about, you could probably say that about Sauce, but can you say that about, you know, Trent McDuffie, given his size? Can you say that about Kair Elam, given what we've seen from him, about Andrew Booth Jr.? You know what I mean? It's just an easier argument to make now that you've got the tape and you've got evidence that he's a superior athlete, and now you just have to convince yourself that the last two years didn't matter. You can do that. I mean, certainly when you can certainly convince yourself. Certainly when you can point to injury being a big part of it. All right. What else we got here for, uh, for news and rumors? I already mentioned PFF Elite's 50% off, but it's worth another mention. Draft 50. I don't know how long they're going to allow this, but 365 days of access. And if you've waited this long, that means you'll have it till April 27th, 2023. You'll have it pretty much through next draft mm-hmm. for 50% off using Draft 50. So. What else have you collated? Uh, damn it. I didn't. I I credited where I got most of these. So I didn't do that in this one. I, this was either Burt's article or it was Fowler's article, and I can't remember which. I miss going to see Burt at Sports Illustrated Draft yeah, Night. Back yeah. to Burt. Yeah. Um, Washington, the Washington Commanders, as they now are, have apparently done a lot of work on quarterback Matt Corral. Not for the first round. Second round, of course. But potentially to take him in the second round. They have a second round. Do they, do they have a second? They I, trade that to Indy. Maybe not the second then, the third. Didn't they have a second still? Anyway, whatever. Check. They've done a lot of work on Matt Corral 
to potentially draft him sometime after the first round. And I just think, given the history of Carson Wentz and what happens when you draft a quarterback in the second round to sit behind him, that would be hysterical. They have Indy's second. Yeah, yeah, there you go. What did they do? They trade it? They exchange? I forget the trade. Just like I, I forgot the Panthers thing. Did I, be... I did I officially correct myself from three shows ago when I said that the Panthers traded a third rounder for Stephon Gilmore or whatever? Maybe. It was for C.J. Henderson. Yes. I correct myself again. That was So be... they have picked 47. That'd be a, I'd take Matt Corral at 47. Oh, yeah. In, in, in isolation, that's exactly where Matt Corral should be picked, somewhere around there. I would do that. Right? And there's a bunch of teams that are probably looking at that and thinking the same thing. I think Atlanta loves Matt Corral as well, around that kind of area. Perfect type of landing spot in terms of draft position for Matt Corral. I just think, given the history of what happens when you draft Carson Wentz's backup in the second round, that would be freaking hysterical if they did that. He felt bad when he they did. drafted Jalen He felt Hurts. bad and immediately fell apart as a human being. It almost made you win all of our previous arguments. The arguments being, I'm just like, draft a million quarterbacks, who cares? If they can't, if they're not your franchise quarterback, they'll... Uh-huh. They gotta suck it up, and if they can't, they're right. out anyway. Or maybe I won the argument. Counterpoint: MVP Carson Wentz becomes the worst quarterback in the NFL the second you take his backup in the second round. Quite literally, did that, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I I, I think my argument stands. <laughs> it, it just gave you quicker evidence that he wasn't the guy, <laughs> and it's time to move on. But then you just like so I just soft. Given that they traded for him now, right? And you're already sort of. You're already working the the small end of the distribution now, right? We've now seen for a while in multiple different systems, or at least different teams, environments, Carson Wentz not be the guy that he used to be. So you're already sort of trying to swim upriver and say, no, we think we can get him back, you know? And frankly, we're desperate enough to try and make it happen. And there was a chance, like the Colts were so done with him, they were going to probably release him. Like they were that done with Carson Wentz and he gave up picks right so you're already like swimming against the the tide here to then essentially like exacerbate things by doing exactly the thing that like started this in the first place right we're going to recreate the conditions that catalyze the collapse of Carson Wentz and hope it goes better I don't think that's smart it's still for the betterment of the franchise Long term. I'm just, just the yeah. Eagles are better off with first contract Jalen Hurts now that we know what we know. Are they? And if you collapse when the team drafts us. Look, the GOAT, they drafted a second rounder in New England, and, and Brady wins four Super Bowls in seven years. Hang on. They're not. And Aaron Rodgers, they draft Jordan Love, and he wins back-to-back MVPs. Rookie It's Eagles, like a test. The Eagles right now with rookie contract Jalen Hurts are not better than the Eagles when Carson Wentz was MVP caliber. Say it again. The current Eagles with... Rookie contract Jalen Hurts are not better than high-end Carson Wentz before he disintegrated. Yeah, but there was already evidence that we weren't getting back to that anyway. <laughs> so I'm just saying that it, it's, an, it's a curious decision to deliberately recreate the conditions that created one of the biggest implosions in recent NFL history. Yeah. I well, wouldn't do it. Put it that way. You, know? you, need a, you need a backup plan. Is it that, though? Maybe he'll feel less threatened by Matt Corral. They've already got Taylor Heineke. Maybe the Eagles didn't uh, loop him in, you know, because the quarterback's got to be looped in. That's a big one. You've got to communicate to him. You think if they give him a heads up? Looping him in. He's cool? Yeah. Look, we're we're looking at Matt Corral. Not for now. (laughs) 
but like way down the road. Way down the road. <laughs> don't be upset if we draft him in the second round. We just don't want the Cowboys to get him, you'll, you'll tell him. We just yeah. don't want the Giants to draft him. Someone else in the division. That's All why right. they're doing it. Um, I was just – somebody uh, – old takes exposed um, – is actually a local Boston uh, media person who said the Chiefs are stupid for their trade-up for uh, Patrick Mahomes. I had forgotten for a second that it was the Bills. That, was that Austin up there again? Yeah. Doing that O-line – doing Oklahoma drill again. Upstairs. No, it's him at the door there. He was at the door? Be, I think he's giving us a hurry-up signal. Oh, did we have a hard out? I don't think so. We got the studio till 3. Yeah, I mean, this is our short show, but, like, we got till 3 if we want. No, we got to 2.30, apparently. Oh. Either way, we got We could wrap time. it up. We yeah. can wrap it up. Um, anyway, I'd forgotten that the Bills were the team that facilitated the Patrick Mahomes trade mm-hmm. from 27 to 10. I mean, this is like your uh, – they got Tredavious White. You got a couple other picks. Looks great for the Bills, but you you enabled Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, the team you can't beat in the playoffs. Should just draft a Patrick Mahomes. Hindsight. Hindsight's real easy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're the Bills. Uh, oh, speaking of the Chiefs, uh, one of the pieces of news is from Burt, who says Kansas City is looking to move up in the draft. So This is got, every year, got those by the two first-round picks. Every year. They could move up. He's even saying they can move up twice. So do like, you know, a version of the Saints. Jump up once, then position yourself to jump up like way high, potentially even into the top 10. Who would they be chasing? Top of mind, Jameson Williams, because my mind only works in skill position players sometimes. Kayvon Thibodeau is the other one. If wow. Thibodeau falls, because the, the Chiefs' two biggest needs are explosive playmakers, again, replacing Tyree Kill, and then defensive line, edge in particular. Deep edge class, but you still feel better about that top four. Uh, the NFL might feel better about the top four if you include Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, say Jermaine Johnson, and, and Kayvon Thibodeau. So, Austin, if you need if you need us, you let me know. Mm. You want to come on the show? Come on in. Don't let the fact that come we're recording in. a live podcast now. Just come hang out. From. Look at this. He's from the tailgate. I'm just creating. There he noise. is, Austin Gale. Do you need us for anything? No, How's no, it going? I, just, I need the schedule. We gotta get, we gotta get going. We're in here till two thirty in the schedule. You need us out by two thirty. Oh yeah, we're not late. We're never late. We'll probably take up the next twenty minutes of our schedule, and then if you could, is something in here? If something's in, we'll we'll uh, we can. Chris, two fifteen. Well, once Chris does our numbers, then we'll we'll give him the show. (laughs) Just kidding, Chris. I'm just kidding. Love you, boss. Chris isn't listening. He never listens to the Wednesday show. There's no way he has time for this. So the other part we'll just of that, cut that one out. The other part of that information is that um, Veach has apparently said that they have 16 to 18 first round draft grades. You know, like you with your 16 to 18, 16 to 18 total. Yeah, total they've got players. first round grades on about 16 to 18. Players. And they have two first round picks. And don't pick until the late 20s. Yeah. Right. So if they actually want a first round caliber player by their own board, they do need to go up and get one. I would really want to see all those. I really want to see everybody's, like, my 21st-round right. picks. Because they are different, obviously. I, Thibodeau makes a lot of sense. I think wide receiver as well, right? We've been, we've been saying that because of the way they put themselves in this spot and the teams that pick in front of them, they could easily be in, sitting in this situation where, like, the receivers they want are gone yeah. by the time their pick comes out. If you want one of those guys, you're actually going to need to move up to snag him. Is there any other position? I mean, corners a need, too. But if I think it's pretty clear that Stingley and Sauce Gardner are the top two, and then 
I would say it's got to be edge and receiver. Oh, we're getting the Thibodeau thing makes is interesting because Dallas has apparently been rumored as a team that would jump up to go after Thibodeau if if he started to slide. And I think if Thibodeau does start to slide, there's a few teams that are eyeing that, like teams that pick like in the twenties who never even thought about Thibodeau up until like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, this is the guy that was supposed to go number one overall. Now he's not going to go in one. He's still going to go top five. All of a sudden, if it's Trayvon Walker at one, Aiden Hutchinson at two, Houston, you know, maybe take Stingley. All of a sudden, if the Jets, you know, don't love Thibodeau, if the Giants don't love Thibodeau, he could slide pretty far pretty quickly. And teams that literally never even considered the idea of drafting Thibodeau would be like, okay, what would it take to get to 10, to get to, you know, that kind of 12? In those scenarios, too, Maybe the quarterbacks start coming off the board, and and you get to eight or nine. Thibodeau's still there, and yeah, a Cowboys, and, and so the Cowboys lost Randy Gregory, right? Still have Demarcus Lawrence, still have Micah Parsons, correct? They're going to be better off with that, you know. Dorrance Armstrong, don't forget, Dorrance, of course. But you know, I think they want to play with that three man edge rotation with Micah Parsons being, you know, Superman. That would be interesting. Thibodeau move. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Dallas have been sort of – they've been doing this thing that a lot of teams do around now where you sort of try and talk up the moves that you've been stuck with, yeah. you know, as if it was your master plan all along. So you're like, oh, yeah, we would uh, – we'd prefer to have two players rather than Randy Gregory. You know, it's actually better this way. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's what we wanted the whole way. Always wanted that. You're like, yeah, I mean, you know. That's why we put the, that language in the contract so we right. would walk to Denver. <laughs> On the other hand, if you could snag a Thibodeau and like – you know, make the best of this bad situation, you probably would, right? It's like David Tepper has been out here saying, yeah, Sam Darnold's a good quarterback. We're happy. Yeah. I, really? Remember last year, uh, Eric re- retweeted something from last year from, uh, from Rap Sheet, where Rap Sheet's like the entire NFL is looking at next year's draft. They just want to trade back. This was last year at this time. Yeah. Because this year was supposed to be the year that you had a bunch of fifth and sixth year seniors. Right. You had all these, which, which by the way, if you're a fifth or sixth year senior, you're probably not the best prospect in that's the world. A, well, that's the thing is that a year ago, everyone's like, oh, next year's draft's going to be loaded because we're going to get all these players that hung around for an extra year. This year, it's like we're dinging all of those guys for hanging around that extra year. It's like, well, they're, they're old. They're, it took them an extra year to be good. So we're, we're dropping them. We don't like that. Well, which is it? I, I mean, when I look around this class, I will stand by. I don't believe this is as good as last year's class. I don't think the high-end talent is there. But when you – Austin, get Austin out of the control room. So <clears throat> when you um, – we've deployed ultimate, by the way. Sweet. News. Yeah. Just got the update. Hope nothing's broken this time around. Uh-huh. Broke something last time. But when you look, if there are a couple blue-chip players in this draft of like, eh, meh. Maybe you go get him. If you're the Chiefs, if you're the Cowboys, maybe this is the year to go to go get a guy. I mean, I think generally that maybe might be not. the that might be the theme of this draft. We keep hearing about all the teams that want to trade down, you know, out of those top picks. But honestly, the 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 general theme might be teams actually one or two teams going in the opposite direction and saying this is it's a deep draft, but it's not a great one. So let's actually start targeting the few players in this draft that have absurd upsides. So the Chiefs have a ton of draft picks to play with as well, as well as, you know, 15, 16, 17 players with a first-round grade. 
they could be aggressive. Jacksonville apparently is going to be aggressive at number one. Maybe Houston is aggressive at three with Derek Stingley. I think you're going to see sort of half a dozen teams really do start sort of targeting the home run hit and really shoot for the the supreme talent. Um, I was going to say something in addition to that, but I, I was reading Jeremy Fowler too that said most of the he thinks most of the movement most people think most of the movement is going to start after ten. But teams have called about seven for the Giants and nine for the Seahawks. Again, I'm just once exci- I'm very excited that the Seahawks are going to have a first round pick because they tend to surprise with their picks. Yeah, and they and and they have a need of quarterback. Also, they yeah. have a need of getting extra picks and blah blah blah. They could do anything. They're one of the pivot points. <sighs> They're trying to push us out of here, but no, I mean it's 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 the end of our show anyway. It's the end of the Wednesday show. Tomorrow's huge. We're doing our last mock draft and it's live. It's live, and we're just gonna I'm going to read the chat and we're going to do. We'll do. We'll have polls and everything. We'll just do a, a mock draft. Yeah, live with everybody, with all the fans. The latest buzz. I want thousands. We need thousands. Tell your friends. Come join us for the live mock draft tomorrow, ten thirty a.m. Eastern. It'll be our final podcast before the draft, and then uh, we're live on the YouTube channel and other places covering the draft. Thursday, Friday, Saturday recap show on Sunday. Sam and I are going to be in Studio B recording some stuff for uh, Friday. But um, And then we'll be podcasting. Right after the draft ends, you're going to join us live on YouTube uh, Friday morning at midnight, whatever that's going to be. So that's uh, that's what we got going on. I didn't get to go through my draft board, man. No, that's a shame. We didn't hear what the model says. All right, I'll run it. I, I got a couple running backs I like. Fantasy people here. Uh, I didn't adjust for age, so I got a couple like 24-year-olds up there that dominated Sweet. at running back. So maybe maybe we shouldn't go that way. All right. Is that it for today? Did we yeah, hit I'm everything? Yeah, we're getting kicked out, so it's got to be. All right, great. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow morning for our last final mock draft.